Section 2 of Porgy by DeBose Hayward. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Denise Ray. Section 2, Part 1. Porgy lived in the Golden Age. Not the Golden Age of remote and a legendary past, nor yet the chimerical era treasured by every man past middle life, that never existed except in the heart of youth, but an age when men not yet old were boys in an ancient beautiful city that time had forgotten before it destroyed. In this city there persisted the golden age of many things, and not the least among them was that of beggary. In those days the profession was one with a tradition. A man begged, presumably because he was hungry, much as a man of more energetic temperament became a stevedore, from the same cause. His plea for help produced the simple reactions of a generous impulse, a movement of the hand, and the gift of a coin instead of the elaborate and terrifying processes of organized philanthropy. His antecedents and his mental age were his own affair, and in the majority of cases he was as happily oblivious of one as of the other. Had it all been otherwise, had Porky come a generation or even a score of years later, there would have been a repetition of the old tragedy of genius without opportunity. For as the artist is born with the vision of beauty and the tradesman with an eye for barter, so was Porgy, equipped by a beneficent providence, a career of mendicacy. Instead of the sturdy legs that would have predestined him for the life of a stevedore or one of the great cotton wharves he had when he entered the world, totally inadequate, neither extremities quick to catch the eye, and touch the ready sympathy of the passer-by. Either by birth or through the application of a philosophy of life, he had acquired a personality that could not be ignored, one which at the same time interested and subtly disturbed. There was that about him which differentiated him from the hordes of fellow practitioners who competed with him for the notice of the tender-hearted where others bid eagerly for attention and burst into voluble thanks and blessings porgy sat silent rapt there was something eastern and mystic about the intense introspection of his look he never smiled and he acknowledged gifts only by a slow lifting of the eyes that had odd shadows in them he was black with the almost purple blackness of undulterated congo blood his hands were very large and muscular, and even when flexed idly in his lap, seemed shockingly formidable in contrast with his frail body. Unless one was unusually preoccupied at the moment of dropping a coin in his cup, he carried away in return a very defiant yet somewhat disquieting impression, a sense of infinite patience, and beneath it the vibration of unrealized but terrific energy. No one knew Porgy's age. No one remembered when he first made his appearance among the ranks of the local beggars. 
a woman who had remarried twenty years before remembered him because he had been seated on the church steps and had given her a turn when she went in once a child saw porgy and said suddenly what is he waiting for that expressed him better than anything else he was waiting waiting with the concentrating intensity of a burning glass as consistent in the practice of his profession as any of the business and professional men who were his most valued customers porgy was to be found any morning by the first arrival in the financial district against the wall of the old apothecary shop that stands at the corner of king charles street and the meeting-house road long custom reinforced by an eye for the beautiful had endured that spot to him he would sit there in the cool of the early hours and look across the narrow thoroughfare into the green freshness of jasper square where the children flew their kites and played hide-and-seek among the shrubs then when the morning advanced and the sun poured its semi-tropical heat between the twin rows of brick to lie impounded there like a stagnant pool of flame he would experience a pleasant atavistic calm and would doze lightly under the terrific heat as only a full-blooded negro can toward afternoon a slender blue shadow would commence to grow about him that would broaden with great rapidity cool the baking flags and the tide of customers home before his empty cup but porgy best loved the late afternoons when the street was quiet again and the sunlight deep with color shot level over the low roof of the apothecary shop to paint the cream stucco on the opposite dwelling a ruddy gold and turn the old rain-washed tiles on the roof to burnished copper then the slender white-clad lady who lived in the house would throw open the deep french windows of the second-story drawing-room and sitting at the piano where porgy could see her dimly she would play on through the dusk until old peter drove by with his wagon to carry him home porgy had but one vice with his day reduced to the dead level of the commonplace he was by night an inveterate gambler each evening his collections were carefully divided into a minimum for room and food and the remainder for the evening's game seen in the light of the smoking kerosene lamp with the circle of excited faces about him he was no longer the beggar in the dust his stagnant blood leaped to sudden life he was the peer of the great hulking fellows who swung cotton bales and stank intolerably from labor to in the fertilizer mills he even knew that he had won their grudging respect for he had a way of coaxing and wheedling the little ivory cubes that forced them to respond the loud oh my baby an explosive come seven of his fellow gamesters seldom brought silver when he experienced that light keen feeling and thought of the new soft-spoken words to say in those hours he lost his look of living in the future while the ivories flew he existed in an intense and burning present one saturday night in late april with the first premonitory breath of summer in the air porgy sat in the gaming circle that had gathered before his door in catfish row 
and murmured softly to his gods of chance. All day he had been conscious of a vague unrest. There had been no breeze from the bay, and from his seat outside the apothecary shop the sky showed opaque blue-gray and bore heavily upon the town. Towards evening a thunderhead had lifted over the western horizon and growled ominously, but it had passed, leaving the air hot, vitiated, and moist. The Negroes had come in for the night feeling irritable, and instead of the usual Saturday night of song and talk, the rooms were for the most part dark and silent, and the court deserted. The game started late, and there were few players. Opposite Porgy, sitting upon his haunches and casting his dice in moody silence, was a Negro called Crown. He was a stevedore, had the body of a gladiator and a bad name. His cotton hook, hanging from his belt by a thong, gleamed in the lamplight and ran a clear note on the flags when he leaned forward to throw. Crown had been drinking with Robbins, who sat next to him, and the air was rank with the effluvium of vile corn whiskey. Robbins was voluble, and as usual, when in liquor, talked incessantly of his wife and children, of whom he was inordinately proud. He was a good provider, and, except for his Saturday night drink and game of steady habits, that lady of mine is a born white folks nigger he boasted she family belonged to governor rutledge ain't you see miss rutledge she herself come to visit she when she sick and dem chillin of mine dem is raised wid ways you best save your talk for dem damn dice dice ain't got no patience wid a woman cut in a young negro of the group "'Dat's the truth,' called another. "'Dey is all too after the same nigger money. "'Dat make a can't get long. "'Shut your damn mouth and throw,' growled Crown. "'Robins, taken aback, rolled the dice hastily. "'Scarcely had they settled before Crown scooped them fiercely into his great hand "'and swearing foully at them, sent them tumbling out across the faintly illuminated circle "'to lose them on the first cast. "'Then Porgy took them up tenderly and held them for a moment cupped in his muscular, slim-fingered hand. "'Oh, little stars, roll me some light,' he sang softly made a pass and won roll me a sun and moon he urged and again the cubes did his bidding porgy which dim dice crown snarled as he drained his flask and sent it shattering across the pavement under the beetling walls of the tenement the game went swiftly forward in a remote room several voices were singing drowsily, as though burned by the oppression of the day. In another part of the building someone was picking a guitar monotonously, chord after chord until the dark throbbed like an old wound. But the players were oblivious of all except the splash of orange light that fell upon the flags and the living little cubes that flashed or dwaddled upon it according to the mood of the hand that propelled them. Peter, 
the old wagoneer sat quietly smoking in porgy's doorway and looked on with the indulgent smile of tolerant age once when crown lost heavily and turned snarling upon robbins with pro dem damn dice fair nigger he cautioned mildly friend and liquor and dice ain't meant to associate you men's best go slow then in a flash it happened robbins rolled again called the dice and retrieved them before crown's slow wits got the count then swept the heap of coins into his pocket with a low snarl straight from his crouching position crown hurled his tremendous weight forward shattering the lamp and bowling robbins over against the wall then they were up and facing each other the oil from the broken lamp settled between two flags and blazed up rudely crown was crouched for a second spring with lips drawn from gleaming teeth the light fell strong upon thrusting jaw and threw the sloping brow into shadow one hand touched the ground lightly balancing the massive torso the other arm held the cotton hook forward ready like a prehensile claw in comparison robbins was pitifully slender and inadequate there was a single desperate moment of indecision then he took his only chance like a thrown spear he hurled his lithe body forward under the terrifying hook and clenched down 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 the sentries they slid clothes could not hold them miraculously the tawny ridge bodies tore through the thin coverings bronze ropes and bars slid and wove over great shoulders bright ruddy planes leaped out on backs in the fire flare then were gulped by sliding shadows a heady bestial stench absorbed all other odors a fringe of shadowy watchers crept from cavernous doorways sensed it and commenced to wail eerily backward and forward in a space no larger than a small room the heaving inseparable mass rocked and swayed breath labored like steam at times the fused single body would thrust out a rigid arm or the light would point out for one hideous second a tortured mad face again the mass would rise as though propelled a short distance from the earth topple and crash down upon the pavement with a jarring impact such terrific expenditure of human energy could not last the end came quickly and with startling suddenness crown broke his adversary's weakened hold and held him the length of one mighty arm the other swung the cotton hook downward then he dropped his victim and swaggered drunkenly towards the street even to the most inexperienced the result would have been obvious robbins was dead horribly dead a scream rose to a crescendo of unendurable agony and a woman broke through the circle of spectators and cast herself upon the body the fire flickered to a faint blue flame unearthly terrifying porgy shivered violently whimpered in the gloom then drew himself across his threshold and closed the door catfish row in which porgy lived was not a row at all but a great brick structure that lifted its three stories about the three sides of a court 
the fourth side was partly closed by a high wall surmounted by jagged edges of broken glass set firmly in an old lime plaster and pierced in its centre by a wide entranceway over the entrance there still remained a massive grille of italian wrought iron and a battered capital of marble surmounted each of the lofty gate-posts the court itself was paved with large flagstones which even beneath the accumulated grime of a century glimmered with faint and varying pastel shades in direct sunlight the south wall which was always in shadow was likened from pavement to rotting gutter and opposite the northern face unbroken except by rows of small paned windows showed every colour through its flaking stucco and in summer a steady blaze of scarlet from rows of geraniums that bloomed in old vegetable tins upon every window-sill within the high-ceiling rooms with their battered colonial mantles and broken decorations of atom designs in plaster governors had come and gone and ambassadors of kings had schemed and danced now before the gaping entrance lay only a narrow cobbled street and beyond a tumbled wharf used by negro fishermen only the bay remained unchanged beyond the litter of the wharf it stretched to the horizon taking its mood from the changing skies always different invariably the same directly within the entrance of the row and having upon the street a single bleary window wherein were displayed plates of fried fish was the cook-shop which catered to the residents of the tenement porky's room was opposite the shop and enjoyed the great advantage of having a front window that commanded the street and harbour and an inner door where he could sit and enter into the life of the court to him the front window signified adventure the door home it was porgy's custom when the day's work was done and he had exchanged a part of his collections for his evening meal of fish and bread to sit at his front window and watch the world pass by the great cotton wharves lay up the river beyond the row and when the cotton season was on he loved to sit in the dusk and see the drays go by they would sweep into view with a loud thunder of wheels on the cobbles and from his low seat they loomed huge and mysterious in the gathering dark sometimes there would be twenty of them in a row with great swiftly stepping mules crouched figures of drivers and bales piled toweringly above them always porgy experienced a vague and not unpleasant fear when the drays swung past there was power vast awe-inspiring it could so easily crush him were he in his path but here safe within his window he could watch it with perfect safety at times when the train was unusually long the sustained rhythmic thunder and the sweep of form after form past his window produced an odd pleasurable detachment in his mind and pictures of strange things and places would brighten and fade but the night following the killing the window was closed and through the open door behind him beat the rhythm of a dirge from robin's room what a matter chillin 
came the strophe, and the antistrophe swelled to the answer, Pain guides the body, and I can't stand still. Porgy sat upon his floor, counting the day's collection, one dollar and twenty cents. It had been a good day. Perhaps the sorrow that had brooded over his spirit had quickened the sympathy of the passers-by. What to matter, sister? Jesus got a brother, and I can't stand still. Every since Porgy had come home, the air had swung to the rhythm of the chant. He divided his pile into equal portions and commenced to pocket one. The burden swayed out again. Pain guides the body, and I can't stand still. He hesitated a moment, poured all the coins together again, selected a twenty-five-cent piece which he put into his pocket, and taking the remainder in his hand, went out and drew himself across the short distance to the room of mourning. The body lay upon a bed in the corner of the room, sheeted to the eyes, and upon its breast rested a large blue saucer. Standing in a circle about the bed, or seated upon the floor, backs to the wall, were a score of negroes, some singing and others swaying, patting the floor with their large feet. For not a single moment since the body had been laid out had the rhythm slackened. With each hour it gathered weight until it seemed to swing the massive structure. Porgy had heard that Robbins had left no burial insurance, the customary Saturday night festivities having consumed the slender margin between daily wage and immediate need. Now, at the sight of the saucer, he knew that rumor had not erred. It had been an old custom among penniless negroes to prepare the course thus, then to sing dirges until neighborhood sympathy provided the wherewithal for proper internment. Recent years had introduced the insurance agent and the burying lodge, and the old custom had fallen into disuse. It had even become a grievous reproach to have a member of the family a saucer-buried nigger. At the foot of the bed, bowed by the double weight of sorrow and disgrace, the widow sat swaying to the rhythm like a beech palm in the ebb and flow of a bleak sea wind. The sight of her grief, the closed room, the awful presence beneath the sheet, and the unceasing pulse of sound that beat against his ears, all contributed to a stir, a strange desire into being within Porgy. Suddenly, he threw his head back and wailed long and quiveringly. In rushed a vast feeling of relief. He wailed again, emptied his handful of small coins into the saucer, and sank to the floor at the end of the bed. Presently, he commenced to croon with the others, and a sense of exultation flooded his being compelling him from the despair of the dirge to a more triumph measure. Oh, I got a little brother in the new graveyard. What outshine the sun, he sang. Without missing the beat, the chorus shifted, and I'll meet him in the primest land. Then came a rude interruption. 
a short yellow negro bustled into the room his voice was low oily and penetrating he was dressed entirely in black and had an air of great importance the song fell away to scarcely more than a throbbing silence the man crossed the room to where the widow sat huddled at the foot of the bed and touched her on the shoulder she raised her face like a burned-out ember how the saucers stand now my sister he whispered at the same time casting an appraising glance towards the subject of his inquiry there ain't but fifteen dollar she replied in a flat despairing voice and he gots to get buried to-morrow called an awed voice or the board of health will take him and give him to the students the widow screamed shrilled wildly she rose to her knees and clutched the man's hand between both of hers oh for god's sakes bury him in the graveyard i'm going to work monday and i swear to god i'm going to pay you every cent for a second even the rhythm ceased leaving an aching suspense in the air watchers waited tensely wide eyes riveted on the man's face pleaded silently presently his professional manners slipped from him all right sister he said simply with the box and one carriage it will cost me more than twenty-five but i'll see you through you can all be ready at eight to-morrow it's a long trip to the cemetery the woman relaxed silently across the foot of the bed her head between her outflung arms then from the narrow confines of the room the song beat up and out triumphantly oh i got a little brother in the new graveyard what outshined the sun the rhythm swelled and voices in the court and upper rooms took it up until the deeply rooted old wall seemed to rock and surge with the sweep of it in the cool of the early morning the procession took its departure for the cemetery that lay beyond the city limits to the north first went the dilapidated hearse with its rigid wooden plumes and faded black velvet draperies that nodded and swayed inside the plate-glass panels then followed the solitary carriage in which could be seen mass black accentuated by several pairs of white cotton gloves held to lowered eyes behind the carriage came the mourners in a motley procession of wagons and buggies that had been borrowed for the occasion porgy drove with peter and four women seated on straight chairs in the wagon behind them completed their company from time to time a long-drawn wail would rise from one of the conveyances to be taken up and passed back from wagon to wagon like a dismal echo moving from the negro district into the wide thoroughfare of meeting-house road with its high buildings and its white faces that massed and scattered on the pavements the cortege appeared almost grotesque with the odd fusion of comedy and tragedy so inextricably a part of negro life in its deep moments 
the fat german who kept the shop on the corner of king charles street and summer road called his clerk from the depths of the building and their stomachs shook with laughter but the little dark russian jew in the next shop who dealt in abominably smelling clothing gave them a reproving look and disappeared indoors the cemetery lay several miles beyond the city limits the lot was bare of trees but among the graves many bright flowering weeds masked the ugliness of the troubled earth to the eastward a wide marsh stretched away to a far bright line of sea westward ploughed fields swept out to a distant forest of yellow pine from the sea to the far tree-tops the sky swung a dizzy arch of thin blue high in the centre of which several buzzards hung motionless watching in the vast emptiness of the morning the little procession crawled out to the edge of the broken wooden fence that marked the enclosure and stopped by the time the last wagon had arrived the cheap pine casket was resting upon battens over the grave and the preacher robed in white was preparing to commence the service the mourners gathered close about the grave death ain't you got no shame called a clear high soprano voice and immediately the mortal embodiment of infinite sorrow broke and swayed about the grave in the funeral chant three times the line swung its curve of song shrill keen agonizing then it fell away to a heart-wrenching minor on the burden take this man and gone gone death ain't you got no shame when the singing ceased the burial service commenced the preacher extemporizing fluently taking his rhythm from the hymn he poured his words along its interminable reiteration until the cumulative effect rocked the entire company the final moment of the ritual arrived the lid was removed from the casket and the mourners were formed into line to pass and look upon the face of the dead a very old bent negress went first she stooped then suddenly with a shriek of anguish cast herself beside the coffin tell peter to hold the door open for me i's coming soon she cried yes god going soon responded a voice in the crowd others pressed about the grave and the air was stabbed by scream on scream grief spent itself freely terrifyingly slowly the clashing sounds merged into the regular measure of a spiritual beautiful and poignant it rose swelling out above the sounds of falling earth as the grave was filled what you gonna do when you come out a wilderness come out a wilderness come out a wilderness what you gonna do when you come out the wilderness leaning on my lord leaning on my lord 
leaning on my Lord, leaning on my Lord, who died on Calvary. The music faded away in vague, uncertain minors. The mood of the crowd changed almost tangibly. There was an air of restless apprehension. Nervous glances were directed towards the entrance. Peter, always sagacious, unless taken unawares, had conferred in advance with Porgy about this moment. When he had helped him from the wagon, he had stationed him just inside the fence where he could be lifted quickly into the road. The last man into the graveyard going to be the next one to get buried, he had reminded his friend. Now, as the final shovel of earth was thrown upon the grave, he came running to Porgy and lifted him quickly into the road. Behind them broke a sudden earth-shaking burst of sound, as of the stampeding of many cattle, and past them the mourners swept. Stumbling, fighting for room, some assisting weaker friends, others fighting savagely to be free of the enclosure. In the center of the crowd, plunging forward with robes flying, was the preacher. In an incredibly short time, the lot was cleared. Then, from a screening bush near the grave, arose the old negress, who had been the first to wail out her grief. She had lain there forgotten, overcome by the storm of her emotion. She tottered feebly into the road. "'Never you mind, sister,' the preacher assured her comfortingly. God always loved the righteous. Dazed and much pleased at the attention that she was receiving, while still happily unmindful of its cause, the old woman smiled a vague smile and was hoisted into the wagon. During the funeral, the sun had disappeared behind clouds that had blown in swiftly from the sea, and now a scurry of large drops swept over the vehicles and trailed away across the desolate graves. "'That's all right now for Robbins,' commented Porgy. "'God done sent the rain already for wash his footsteps off the earth.' "'Oh, yes, brother,' contributed a woman's voice, "'and amen, my Jesus,' add another. "'In the early afternoon of the day of the funeral, "'Porgy sat in his doorway, communing with Peter. "'The old man was silent for a while.' his grizzled head bowed and an expression of brooding tenderness upon his lined face. Robbins were a good man, he reflected at length, and that nigger crown were a killer and forever getting into trouble. Yet, dear lie Robbins, with his wife and fatherless children, and crown done gone, he always do the same thing over again somewhere else gone for true i reckon done loose now on kitty walk island in them palm tree tickets and the rope ain't never make for catch em and hang em porky stopped suddenly and motioned with his head toward someone who had just entered the court the new arrival was a white man of stocky build wearing a wide brim hat and a goatee he was swinging a heavy cane, and he crossed the court directly and paused before the two. For a moment, 
he stood looking down at them with brows drawn fiercely together then he drew back his coat exhibiting a police badge and a heavy revolver in a breast holster you killed robbins he shot out suddenly at peter and i'm going to hang you for it come along now and he reached out and laid a firm hand upon the old man's shoulder peter shook violently and his eyes rolled in his head he made an ineffectual effort to speak tried again and finally said for god boss i ain't never done it like a flash the pistol was out of his holster and pointed between his eyes who did it then snapped the man crown boss i done seen him do em peter cried in utter panic the man laughed shortly i thought so then he said then he turned to porgy you saw it too eh there was panic in porgy's face and in his lap his hands had clenched upon each other but his eyes were fixed upon the paving he drew a deep breath and waited a flare of anger swept the face above him come out with it i don't want to have to put the law on you porgy's only answer was a slight tremor that shook the hands in his lap the detective's face darkened and sweat showed up under his hat brim suddenly his temper bolted look at me you damn nigger he shouted suddenly the sitting figure before him relaxed almost as seen muscle by muscle at last the hands fell apart and lay flexed and idle finally porgy raised his eyes that had become hard and impenetrable as onyx they met the angry glare that beat down upon them without flinching after a long moment he spoke slowly and with great quietness i ain't know nothing about em i been inside asleep on my bed with the door closed you a damn liar the man snapped he shrilled a whistle and two policemen entered he saw the killing the detective said in indicating peter take him along and lock him up as a material witness how about the cripple asked one of the officers he could not have helped seeing it the man said sourly that's his room right there but i can't make him come through but it don't matter one's enough to hang crown if we ever get him come get the old man in the wagon the policeman lifted the shaking old negro to his feet come along uncle it ain't going to be as bad for you as crown anyway encouraged one of them then the little party passed out of the entrance leaving porgy alone from the street sounded the shrill gong of the patrol wagon followed by the beat of swiftly receding hoofs upon the cobbles ten days had passed since the detective had taken peter away for a week the wagon had waited under the tottering shed and the dejected old horse had subsisted upon a varied diet brought to him by the friends of his absent master then a man had come and taken the outfit away in answer to the protests of the negroes he had exhibited a contract dated three years previous by which peter was to pay two dollars a week for an indefinite period on an exorbitant purchase price failure to pay any installment would cause the property to revert to the seller it all looked thoroughly legal and so the dilapidated old rig rattled over the cobbles and departed then the man from the installment furniture house came 
he was a vile mouth bearded Teuton, and swore so fiercely that no one dared to protest when he loaded Peter's furniture on his truck and drove away. Now, there remained in a corner of Porgy's room, where he had taken them into custody, only a battered leather trunk, a chromo of the great emancipator, and a bundle of old clothes, mute reminders of their kindly and gentle old owner. End of section two.